Mahomes back, throws, it is incomplete, yes. picked off, picked off by the Lions. Brian Branch with it left side. He's going, baby! He's going to the house! Touchdown, Detroit Lions! Deflected yes. in the air, Branch ran under it, and he took it all the way back. Welcome back to the 20 Minute Huddle podcast presented by Microsoft. And I have in Field Yates from ESPN. Thanks for stopping by, Field. You are always a favorite of mine to talk to in the offseason. You kind of have your pulse on everything, which I love, which probably makes you a little bit busy. But the pulse of the NFL. So so let's talk about a couple NFL kind of centric topics to begin. The kickoff rule kind of has been talked about. The NFL wants to see more kickoffs. What's your your thought on on maybe some potential changes coming to the kickoff rule? I'm a little old school, and I want to see more kickoffs as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I don't think I need to preach when uh, I'm talking to a team that just made, I think, Jalen Reeves maybe the highest-paid core yeah. special teamer ever, right? Like, Lions fans understand that it's a three-phase football game still. Um, so I think the kickoff is good for the NFL. I think it adds an element of unpredictability. I think it adds an element of variance. And I have seen a lot of massive, massive playoff swinging games decided by 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 the kickoff so um you know i think back to like whether it's devin hester returning the opening kickoff for a touchdown in the super bowl or just you know troy brown way back in the day particular though those are such huge plays a a block punt a a a key return just flipping the field late in the fourth quarter 100 it's it's play that's i couldn't agree more and uh you know there's a huge chunk of the roster i mean usually the special teams coach does not deal with at maximum two position groups the quarterbacks, because other than maybe the backup holding on field goals and PATs, not going to be involved with yeah. special teams. And then occasionally the wide receivers. Although there are some wide receivers that have merged as some of the best special teamers in the entire NFL. So uh, the Lions special teams coordinator might know more players on an individual level than any other t- coach, maybe other than Dan Campbell on the team. 100%. So uh, I'm a little bit of a uh, softy for uh, for good special teams action. All right. One other thing kind of being talked about league-wide, the trade deadline has yeah. become a topic. They want to move it back a couple totally of weeks. Totally agree. Why, Couldn't agree why more. Think? Uh, it just it introduces – so here's one of the realities of the NFL is that the trade volume has kicked up, right? Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, we saw a very, very busy trade deadline. This yeah. past year wasn't quite as busy. Um, but the further into the season you are – the more of a an accurate representation of what you think you are or are going to be for the rest of that year. Yeah, good point. And it allows teams that maybe halfway or let's maybe at the trade deadline you're five and four. You don't know what you are. Right. But if it gets moved back three weeks and you're seven and four or eight and four or you're five and seven all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it allows you a more complete picture and it allows for more possibilities of trades, which I think generally speaking, can benefit both sides in a pretty dramatic way. It's almost like taking the NHL approach, right? Because we're just now starting to talk about the yeah. trade deadline in the NHL, and there's, right. what, 23, 22 games? Totally, yeah. Being from Detroit, a team like Detroit, you know, the Red Wings now can say, okay. Wings are playing some good pucks. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It is fun. You know, yeah. we're in a spot now, hey, Gator. we can maybe go do it. So yeah. similar similar deal. I, I agree. I think it makes more sense to be a little bit later. Let teams who think they can go for a run try to make that move that's my stance on it i think that and i understand at some point you have to draw a line like yeah. i don't think we need to have a trade deadline after thanksgiving but even if you push it back two to two and a half weeks then you're in business teams i think have a much better feel for what they are what they're going to be and while the nfl is not like where i think the nba is where so much of the interest in the nba the stuff that takes place during the offseason yeah it 
does create fan interest in the NFL has an intended goal of being relevant 365 days yeah, a they're year. They're pretty good at that, aren't more, they? They sure are. <laughs> uh, more trade certainly goes a long way in doing that. How surprised were you at the $30 million salary cap hike? Pleasantly surprised, right? Uh, <laughs> I bet. I, I would say that there's really no down. The, the only way I was trying to think of winners and losers, my mm-hmm. thought winners, everybody, right? Everybody's a winner, right? Um, I would say specifically players that play either a premium position or guys that are at the top of their own position yeah. are in a good spot because resetting the market uh, is much easier to do when you've got $30 million more to play with. Um, I don't even know if there is a loser. The only one that I could come up with is if competitive balance becomes a little bit of an issue for the NFL because teams that are already at the top have now been emboldened to make more audacious moves that impact the next couple of seasons. Mm, that being said, like a lot of things still have to happen yeah. for teams at the top to stay at the top. Yeah, because they've got to pay... The, well, it's not. Yeah, it's know, a lot of players still, right? You know, like the NBA had this cap spike in 2019 that led to the Warriors signing Kevin Durant, and the best team or one of the best teams in the entire league had that much more to sign one player. And in the NBA, one player can tilt the entirety of a franchise. In the NFL, there are some players certainly, yeah. but it's not like it's you know. One, even the best quarterback is not 20% yeah. of the players on the field at one time. Speaking of contracts, important players, players amongst the best at their position, so I'm on Ross Mara? St. Brown. Yeah, yeah well, you yeah. know where I was going. I'm on Ross course, St. Brown yeah. is, is looking for um, an, an extension, yeah. you know, I think before he goes into next season. What do you think that looks like? And do, do you consider him among the, the top three, four, five, the top guys at that position? Not only do I consider him one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, this might be one of the easiest extension candidates. In the I league. agree 100%. <laughs> what more could you possibly ask for out of any draft pick, but yeah. much less one that came in the fourth round than Amon Ra St. Brown, right? Amon Ra is the definition, I think, of what the Lions want in a player. Uh, I'm not sure any player is like has a better attitude on the field than Amon Ra. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's super talented, obviously, but I think his talent is matched by intangibles that take him to a level that's even greater than his quote-unquote natural talent is, right? I mean, he famously wasn't that fast in the pre-draft process. Hasn't seemed to impact him one bit. The toughness is off the charts, sets the tone for an offense, a big game player who every gotta-have-it situation, you might think they're throwing the football to number 14 and you're probably still not breaking it up. (laughs) So... I don't want to sound super nerdy here, but I'd imagine if uh, Brad Holmes or Mike Disner, who, who of course does the contracts for the Lions, hears this, they might uh, agree with my assessment here. Uh, we fixate, we the public fixate on the average annual value for a contract more than any other metric. Yeah. That's what we care about the most. I would argue that there are a lot of factors that contribute to how you value a contract. So right now the wide receiver mark is set at $30 million per year on the Tyreek Hill deal with Miami. Yeah. Four-year, $120 million contract. If you look at that one a little bit closer, it's a three-year, $75 million deal with $45 million in compensation due to Tyreek Hill in the final year of that of that contract. Tyreek Hill might be the best receiver in the NFL. That's still a big number for any wide receiver, yeah. right? A big number for any player, yeah. period. So if you're Amon Ra, if the goal for Amon Ra is to get to $31 million per year, there are ways that you can get there. There are also ways that you could say, hey, a three-year, $77.5 million deal, which is only, if I can do my math quickly, like 
$27.5 million per season or somewhere in that range, 20, yeah. 26, 27, whatever that is, right? That might be a stronger deal or an equally, you know, a, a very, very strong deal that might also get the job done. Does it make you the highest paid wide receiver on an average annual basis? Technically, no. Does it make you one of the highest paid receivers ever? Yes. So there are a lot of different metrics, three-year mm -hmm. cash flow, guaranteed money, you know, injury guarantees, practical guarantees, things of that nature. So I think the number is big. I think it's 25 million plus per year. I think it's worth it. I think I think it's, every penny is worth it. Every, every yeah. penny is yeah. worth it. I agree. And by the way, last thing I'll say about it yeah. is that not that I have no reason to believe that they won't do it, but it's an example. It's an example to every player that gets drafted and walks in that building. It doesn't matter if you're taking in the first round, fourth round, or undrafted. If you do what it takes to mm -hmm. earn your payday, we're going to reward you. I think there's a delicate balance of a team doesn't reward a player who's done everything you possibly can in an expedient manner it leaves other guys saying what are we gonna do what are we doing here what do we do what are we doing here what do we yeah. do yeah so how if that if that guy can't get paid how can i get paid no no one deserves it more i mean i love the fact that he could rattle off the 16 guys taken ahead of him know. you know I, the fact I that even, he is I, I think i i think i had eggs for breakfast this morning but i can't quite recall field when you watch his tape and watch him block in the run game it, it's so fun i mean Wide receivers people, yeah. don't stick their head into it like Amon Rod. He just everything that Dan Campbell, you mentioned it, is about. Yeah. And what he wants the culture of this team to be right. about is in number 14. He's Dan Campbell with football talent on the field, right? <laughs> Dan obviously was a talented player, played for a while in the NFL, but Dan would be the first to tell you. I saw that combine photo resurface recently, right? Like yeah. Dan was like, you know, the four eight <laughs> tight end, right? Like if he if he wouldn't uh, if he hates me for saying this, I apologize. I, one of my hey, on the one-yard line the running off tackle, you want Dan Campbell no doubt, on your right? side to help punch that into but the end zone. Dan never ran a 4-5 or <laughs> no. whatever. He, you know, he didn't have that the quickness that Amon yeah. Ra has, but uh, he's everything you could possibly want in a Detroit Lions wide receiver. I'm glad you brought Dan up because the uh, player grades came out yeah. uh, yesterday, I believe it was, it did, and yeah. there were three coaches that received an A-plus from yeah. the players, and these are, are grades that um, you know voted on by the players that crossed the gambit of nutrition, and yep. facilities and everything. Um, Andy Reid, and I think it was Kevin O'Connell yep. with A-pluses, and, and, and Dan, Dan Campbell. Campbell. I'm just... so glad it happened because I hope that people <laughs> rethink the way that we evaluate head coaching hires, which I would argue there's no dumber reaction that we do. I know people don't like draft grades sometimes, and hey, believe it or not, sometimes <laughs> we're wrong. Right? Grading coaching hires is so incredibly difficult for so many reasons. Yeah. It's one thing if, listen, if someone's been a coach for a long time before – and gets rehired after a track record of success, I'm generally going to believe it's a good hire. Yeah. But when it's your first time being hired as a head coach on a full-time basis, it's, it's a bit of a mystery here. But so often we just go and find the high, hot offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator candidate, which, by the way, the Lions had this year in Ben Johnson, yeah. right? But if Ben Johnson was hired by a team as a head coach, my rationale for liking Ben Johnson as a hire wouldn't be, oh, yeah, he, he he coordinated a great offense. There's a lot more to the job than just that. It would be because when you hear Lions players talk about what has in, enabled Ben to lead this great offense, it's talking about clear communication, having a plan, Jared feeling emboldened. He yeah. feels empowered within the offense. It's belief. It's throwing the football to Panay Swool or throwing the football – I'm not going to bring up Taylor Decker. other plays, but yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or, but, you know, getting skipped the ball, like doing things yeah, like yeah. that, right? Those are the traits that matter. So Dan didn't, I mean, was Dan, I don't think Dan was ever a coordinator prior to being hired as a head coach. No. Uh, obviously was an interim coach for whatever it was, 13 year, thirteen games filling in for Joe Philbin after he was ousted in Miami. But, and and the press conference, that, you know, was, was, was being laughed at and mocked. It's like, all right, so we can have fun with the memes now, but 
there was like serious blowback at the time. Yeah, 100%. And so it's a reality that uh, rather than gravitating towards just the guy that coordinates the great offense or the great defense, let's find leaders. Let's find people that understand how to communicate to players. Let's find coaches that instill a belief. Let's find coaches that have their players situationally prepared. Let's find coaches that believe in process, not just results. Results obviously matter, yeah. but if you don't have a process, you're not going to get the results. You find a coach who can handle the tough times. It's easy. I'm not saying it's easy to be a coach in any capacity, but when everything's going great, a lot easier to coach 100%. than when you hit a rut. Yeah. And the Lions didn't have too many ruts this year, but I'm not like – I remember a, a year and a half ago, I think they got – I believe it was like week when seven shut out. Yeah. Shut out. Yeah. Against in, New England. In New England, 27 nothing. I yeah. think it was. Yeah. To a team that ended up being okay, not great, yeah. right? And you're like, damn. What's happening here with this Lions? Team? Right. Come back, finish the season seven and two in their last nine games. Jared goes bananas. You think it's hard or easy being one and six? Obviously, the answer is is, is very difficult. And I thought that, that Dan Campbell showed that. Um, yes, it's great when you're winning the division and making the conference championship game. But if you can't endure the difficult times, because more are coming, it's just the way the NFL works, right? right? You're not going to last. So yeah. I was fired up about it. I love Dan. You know, one of my I don't know. Five favorite people in the entire NFL. I, uh, I, I, I've suffered a couple of shoulder injuries running through brick walls for Dan. <laughs> Money obviously uh, dictates free agency, but do you think any, anything like that plays in free agency uh, at totally. all? Totally. If you don't with, think with guys guy. want to go play with him, of course. Yeah. Now, money is. I will always believe it. And by the way, <laughs> it's justified. If I were an NFL free agent, I'd probably go where the biggest money offer was. But tie-breaking situations. If you're a guy that's already been around and made some money. You're probably saying to yourself, I want to go play for that guy as opposed to somewhere else where the coach does not have the presence that Dan Campbell does. And Brad Holmes, I don't want to like lose track of Brad yeah, here yeah. because Brad has emerged as this unbelievably brilliant general manager who has presence to him yeah. too, right? Like you saw how fired up he was in the elevator after right. a couple of those right. games and you're like, that guy clearly. They fit together. They do. Yeah. Perfectly. And, and that's the most important, the important relationship in the building. Yeah. And by the way. Uh, zero prior connection that I'm aware of. No. Didn't work together. Right. It wasn't like one was handpicked by, you know, the other. Like, to my knowledge, it was we just ran a thorough search, and the GM we felt was best was Brad Holmes. The GM we felt was uh, – head coach we felt was best was Dan Campbell. So, anyways, yeah. I, I could wax the rest yeah. of the day here on the Lions. Right, well, we are here in, in, in yeah. Indy for the Combine. I know you just uh, recently on ESPN had your, like, 11 key questions yes. column that you yeah. and Matt Miller, who was also on the uh, the podcast, and I, I think uh, – Jordan Reed, Mel Kuyper as well. Yeah, Kuyper, yep. yep. A lot of great stuff in there. Just maybe real quickly, a, a, a couple things that you're kind of really focused on, some keys on, some maybe things that made that column that jumped out that you're looking toward as, as on-field workouts now have kicked off. Yeah, I'd always say that, like, for the on-field workouts, I, you know, I've I've got my my I think I'm up to 329 player reports that I've written up so wow. far. So I've I've <laughs> I have a feel for uh, a lot of guys in this class. Yeah. But it's it's tiebreaker week for me, right? It's these guys are wide receiver five versus wide receiver six. One runs slow, one runs fast. It's going to be hard to keep the slow guy ahead of the fast yeah. guy, right? Things of that nature. Uh, the medicals are so essential on yeah. so many players. Uh, it's guys like Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. It's guys like Leatu Latu from UCLA. Uh, I, I hope that those guys get a clean medical history or get a clean bill of health and everybody says there's no issues whatsoever. Uh, but the reality is that we've seen guys fall down boards because yeah. of what happens here in Indianapolis during this week. So it's tiebreakers. It's medical stuff, and this is not something that I'm going to be privy to every single bit of, but the interviews matter too. I've yeah. heard already from player, uh, people around the NFL this week, players that have wowed and players that have left you saying, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he's a program fit, even if the football stuff is really good on tape. 
And a lot of people don't realize that that's an important connection there, that, that the football Massive. stuff has to match. And the interviews, Dan said he came down here, we talked to him, I'm here for the interviews. That's what I'm here for. I, the testing, everything else, I can get all that, but I want to sit across from a guy and know if he fits our culture, he fits our style, and I think you can only get that in those meetings. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Lions took Jack Campbell. I don't think that was uh, – we never met the guy. I think it's, you know, as you probably have gathered, Yeah. you spend 10 seconds around Jack Campbell. <laughs> and I, I, Those listen, shoulders I get again? It. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know, like, and, and he's going to become an even better player. He's going to continue to become a big part of that defense. Yeah. But, you know, Coach Shepard and Campbell and – all the people involved in that pick, like on the coaching staff, I'm sure, and Brad Holmes and his staff, like I'm sure interviews are part of the process and a guy like that being a first-round pick. 100%. Field, great stuff as always. Thanks I'm going to have to have you back here maybe before the draft and definitely before training camp when we I'll know what in, this is I out. I can't we wait can to be there in Detroit. Yeah. All right, we're going to have I'm you so back on up. Field Gates from ESPN. Follow him. He's got a, a pulse on everything on the NFL. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate you. Appreciate you having me on. Right. We'll see you guys in 63 days in Detroit. I like it. Not that I'm going to have to wait a little while. Yeah, no, for I, a, for a I'm showing up night, early. But. I know. I know. The Lions <laughs> might not pick till after. It might be the 26th by the we, time they pick. Yeah. People are going to be a little uh, a little sloshed up by the time uh, they, they so. pick at 29, I but hey, so. we'll take yeah. it. That's right. Welcome back to the 20 Minute Huddle podcast. I am very happy to welcome in Lance Zerline. Does a great job with the NFL. And Lance, how much time do you spend doing those combine profiles? Because they are must-reads for me. When I'm yeah. looking to do a, a, a prospect, you got the strengths, the weaknesses, all the little tidbit stuff. I mean, when do you start that? And, and how long does that process take leading up to this? I start it in late October. <clears throat> That's when I feel like I have enough tape to start looking at certain players. Yeah. And then I'll wait for quarterbacks until I've got all the tape. So some of the biggest prospects I'm not writing up until uh, December, sometimes into early January. But usually late December, I, I might not include any of their bowl games or the bowl championship series. But this year I did. Um, so I would say so I've written up 343 prospects so far. Jeez. I'll write about 500 total. Uh, quarterback may take me two and a half hours to get done, two and a half to three hours. Um a general player is going to take me a good first or second round talent will take me about an hour and a half okay. to get through the tape and then write the prospects. I've, I've fine tuned my process where I can get to my information quicker. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, a below average player, late round draftable. Those guys, typically I can find what I need in about 45 to 50 minutes. So I'll work seven days a week, try to get anywhere from three to five players done. And then once February rolls around, I'm not only seven days a week, but I'm going to put in, I do a three hour radio show every morning and then, um, I'll probably put in another seven or eight hours on top of that and write five to six prospects because I have to have all the combine guys done. Right. So it's an arduous process from late October to the combine. But after this, I've got – and this sounds funny to people. I've got about 140, 150 more prospects to write in two months, which is no big deal. And people are like, oh, what? <laughs> like when you're keeping the pace I am, yeah. like 75 a month is like, that's light work. Well, it does not go uh, unappreciated. Let's yeah. just put it that way. And, and you know what? I know that. And I know a lot of people are dependent on me because they don't watch fourth round guards. Right. You know, so I know that I can't shortcut my process because I've got a lot of people counting on me to tell them, you know, who the player is and, and what they look like and what are the strengths and weaknesses. And I don't want to get those wrong. Yeah. My projection may miss. My grade may be off. But I want you to get a good feel of who it is that your team 
has drafted or may draft. 100%. You mentioned strengths and weaknesses. Let's talk about strengths in this draft class. Maybe we're at three positions where you feel like, okay, there's some good talent, but there's some good depth too. I think teams that are looking for this position are going to be able to find it not only at the top of the draft, but maybe into day two and maybe even day three. Yeah, wide receiver hits that mark. Uh, the top three wide receivers are cut above everyone else. But I think the real strength of this draft is when you get into the second round and, and third round, day two, I think you're going to find some good starters, different types. you got some great route runners in there like uh, with speed, like Lad McConkey. Uh, uh, Pearsall from Florida mm -hmm. could not be guarded at Senior Bowl or on tape. Uh, um Roman Wilson is going to run in a 4-3s at here at the Combine, and he's a guy who's really seen his stock rise. Jermaine Burton from Alabama is big, can win you know, contested catches. So there's a lot of guys that fit whatever you're looking for. We've got it in this Combine. Xavier Worthy is going to run an unbelievable time at University of Texas, but he's like 165 pounds. So, you know, it's he's, he's the opposite of some of the receivers I talked about. But if you want a wide receiver – Day two and into day three is going to be great for you. I think uh, offensive line, it's rare to see offensive tackles span into the second round with legitimate starting grades, but you do have that, and you have some developmental players like the kid out of Yale who's going to be uh, in this combine. You have plenty of good centers, decent guards, but, but really the centers, I think, range into the fourth round with starting grades. And then beside that, I would say that uh, corner, it's, it's light on linebackers, uh, a little light top end on defensive tackles, but pass rush. Pass mm -hmm. rush is another one where it's really good in the first round, falls off a little, but then gets a little more broad in terms of, you know, what depending on what your taste is and of edge, what you need. Yeah. You can find that, I think, in the fourth and fifth round. You can still find very good backups who have a chance to become eventual starters. Lance, you're starting to get people in Detroit excited yeah. here. With the, the edge rushers and the interior offensive linemen. I just want to help you know? AG, man. I'm an Aaron Glenn guy. <laughs> known him since, since he was at Houston with the Texans. Yeah. Uh, followed him for a long time. And I just want to see that defense become as good as they can. I mean, listen, Detroit is now – kind of an America's team situation, right? It was, 100%. honestly, uh, people who don't have a, a dog in a fight are, like, I'm an AFC South guy. I do radio in Houston, but watching Detroit, and it's not just that I like the Dan Campbell story. It's not just that I like Aaron Glenn personally. I like the redemption arc of, of, of Jared Goff. Yeah. I like uh, I like the fact that you drafted one of my favorite linebackers of all time, Malcolm Rodriguez. Uh, <laughs> I like the fact that this is a team built on the offensive line, which is one of my specialties, that you went out and said, we're going to kick people's butt in the trenches. Like, I like that it's the way it's built, and I think they're an easy team to root for. And it's built for sustained success, too. Yeah. When you look at the core players and you look what Brad has been able to do in these Brad last Holmes three drafts. Cycles. It's been amazing. I want to talk about one guy in particular. You mocked him in your first mock draft, Darius Robinson out of Missouri, a guy that I like. I actually mocked him as well. Mm -hmm. Why is he a good fit right there at the end of the first round for Detroit? Well, he can play. So he lost weight going from defensive tackle to defensive end this year. They just needed a defensive end. They were injured at Missouri. So he bounced from D tackle to D end. And I mean, didn't miss a beat. He was just. Uh, just beat people up off the edge. He is body beautiful, great physical specimen, can play defensive tackle or defensive end. So you can rush him inside as a sub-package rusher on third downs. You can play him outside as a base end who bullies run blockers. And um, I just think it gives you a nice compliment to what Aiden Hutchinson does. you got a bully of the same stature on the other side. Maybe yeah. not the same exact athlete, but I think he's going to test pretty well. And I just like the the Dan Campbell mentality of let's go physical 
We're trying to physically impose our will the mm -hmm. same way we do with our offensive line, and we're going to do it with our defensive front too. And I think one of the best ways to compete for a championship, people get locked up in a lot of different positions. But when you're dominant on your fronts, it makes the job much, much easier. And typically you can find – help at corner at wide receiver some of the skill positions uh on day two and day three so you know if you get a special physical specimen like robinson who is really on the the incline i say draft the ascending prospect with the great traits yeah and you gotta love that versatility right i mean he played anywhere from zero to nine technique i think he played maybe every single he one did. in college and you look at the way aaron has kind of created some of these sub packages with bumping Aiden inside and he likes to do some of those things and move guys around just seems like a good fit yeah I agree with you value at 29 where do you see the lines haven't been drafting you know this late in a little while uh Brad's had top 10 picks heading into the draft in each of his first three years so this is a little different he talked uh the other day about just you know loving the fact that you have to trust the tape at 29 you know mm -hmm. it's not about getting the sexy you know pick and the top 10 guy but at 29 where do you see value the most if you're Detroit now free agency comes first so needs are going to change yeah. a little bit yeah but where's the value at 29 the value that's a good question because I every draft has its own flow and, and lifespan of where prospects go and I think there's a very definitive one to me the value in this draft is going to be the second group of wide receivers, Adonai Mitchell from Texas, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU. I mean, they may not be on the board, but at that spot, that's where the value is. I think Graham Barton from Duke, who can play center or guard, Jackson Powers Johnson from Morgan, who can play center or guard. These are guys that I would put on the top of my list because those are going to be the value yeah. players, guys who have strong, solid first-round grades uh, who also – might fall there depending on if the quarterback pushes is strong enough to go five deep, which I think it will be. You know, and the Lions have Amon Ross St. Brown. They have Jamison Williams. But that's still an area of need. They're still looking for a number three oh, yeah. guy, depending on what free agency does with, with Josh with Reynolds Josh, yeah. and some of those other guys. But Well, that's why I think, I think you know, when you look at wide receivers, it's a, it's a pick you wouldn't typically make for a team that's not very good. But you can, once you get to a certain level, you can, like, I thought Jameer Gibbs is – a really intriguing Great pick because it was a matchup. Yeah. It was specifically designed to create stress on defenses with a special matchup. If you now have Amon Ross St. Brown and Jameson, so you got a field stretcher, you got your guy who can work from the slot, and now you put someone on the other side that can work all three levels. Now you have given, you know, you've given that offense along with Jameer Gibbs and then a bully like like Montgomery, you've got an opportunity really to attack anywhere on the field, yeah. all three levels with any number of prospects. So that's when you're trying to make that jump and say, we want to win a Super Bowl, you can make a move like that. All right, last one for me, just the cornerback class, maybe just a quick uh, synopsis, quick rundown. Um, end of first round, into day two, can you find quality starters? Is this a pretty good cornerback class? I think it is. I think you can find quality starters. Um, you know, you may have to, would the Lions be willing to move up for a corner? That might be what you need to do because for me, the top four or five corners, there's a little bit of gap after that. Okay. So it might be a situation where you need to move up maybe three spots, something like that. But uh, I do think that you can get – it. there's going to be a Kool-Aid McKinstry possibly at the end of the first round is one guy to, to, to keep an eye on. And and it's, a, it's deep enough that you could let it slide into the second. You could even trade back into the second round if you wanted to. But if I'm the Lions, man, I'm close. Everything I'm doing is really – this might be kind of a now draft. Yeah. You know, because Jared Goff's not getting any younger. So 
it might be a now draft where you make moves that maybe are a little more aggressive as opposed to playing for the future. Well, they got four picks in the top 100. They've got some uh, cap space to deal with. Too. It should be a fun offseason in Detroit. Great job, as always. Great information. Appreciate Continue it. to follow Lance. He does everything for NFL.com. He's got the, the know on all these prospects. You need to know anything on a guy, go to NFL.com, go to Lance Erline. Uh, he's got all the information. Thanks so much for joining Thanks, me. Guys. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Welcome to the 20 in the Huddle podcast presented by Microsoft, and we are here in Indianapolis. It is the NFL Scouting Combine, one of my favorite weeks, and joining me is Ben Solak from The Ringer. You guys might know him as the new kid on the block if you read Peter King at all. Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on that, by the way. I mean, that's Thanks. that's quite the honor, though, Ben, right? Yeah, I mean, Peter's been doing this for a long time, and to shout you out as kind of one of those new kids, those up-and-comers coming up for, yeah. for people to read, quite the honor. And Peter, like, that's very cool. Peter's also been, like, helping and and providing advice and mentorship like to a lot of young journalists over over the past couple of years and so like that's always cool but i always want to tell people like peter's been in the trenches for a lot of young guys and, and i I got, I got a world of respect for that well yeah. it was certainly a great honor you are a friend of the podcast you've been on a few times so we love having you let's just jump right into this it, it's, it's a fun time in the nfl right we're here in indianapolis we're getting ready for the draft but free agency is before that so there's going to be a lot um going on Let, let's start with the detroit lions and Getting to the NFC Championship game, obviously huge season. But when you talk to people in Detroit, they kind of wonder, do they have that staying power? Was this right. a, a flash in the pan? I know Brad Holmes was pretty adamant after the season talking about we've done all this to be a consistently good football team. Does this yeah. Detroit team have staying power in, in your in your opinion? They do, yeah. Now, what Dan said after the lost NFC Championship game was correct, which is that you can be as good of a team as you were next year relative to last year and not make it back to the NFC Championship game. Yeah. We started to get to playoff football. One bounce, two bounces. Everybody's banged up. Everybody's hurt. We don't play best of seven series in the playoffs the way the NBA does. And we play best of ones, right? And so Dan was correct to say, listen, like, it's not guaranteed that it just because you're you're this good next year doesn't mean you get back to this spot next year. That was, that was accurate. But in general, yeah, like, I remember when Brad and Dan first took the job a few years back and they were very explicit. Like, we believe a good team is built through the draft, is built patiently, it is built slowly, it is homegrown. Like, that's how you build a true contender. So now, three years later, this is why we built it Look like this. Look at the this, core right? pieces. Exactly. Like, this, All this guys is, they drafted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're young, and we're, and, and we're, and we're cheap, and we're, we're homegrown, we have a culture, we have an understanding of who fits where. Like, this is why we built it this way. Not to go get free agents and, and to get to nine wins quickly and kind of, you know, feel like a little salve, a little Band-Aid. It was to be legit good for a long time. So, yes, I think they do have staying power. You know, and... Coaching continuity, I think, plays a part in that, too. Ben Johnson back, Aaron Glenn back. You don't see that a lot going into a third season, especially when a team yeah. has been as good as Detroit has the last two years. How much does that coaching continuity fit into the mix as well? How important is yeah. that? Dan talked about it this week down here, just how almost spoiled he feels a little yeah. bit having those guys back. But that's a huge part of it, too, isn't it, Ben? It's an enormous deal. <laughs> ask, the, ask the Philadelphia Eagles, last year's NFC champion, or I say two years ago now, who then lose both their coordinators and are, and are bad in the playoffs. Yeah. Ask the 49ers with their carousel at defensive coordinator right your your windows in this league tend to be very small and it's hard to crack them wider it's hard to keep them sustained one of the best ways to do that is to rain as to retain coaches is to have, have the guys in the building who understand how to make the pieces work like ben johnson to jared goff is the easiest and clearest example like we know that ben has figured out what works for jared we know that jared trusts ben jared has gotten better over his time here with ben yeah if you if you took ben out of the equation it would be a massive question mark not to say it would be bad but it'd be a huge question mark going in and so like the, 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 the continuity allows you to have reasonable expectations for the team at a high level. Yeah, I think 
Dan had a great line down here in Indy when he said, getting all the coordinators back, it's like being able to start at level 401 instead of 101. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that, that's, running. A, that's a great point for a team coming off an NFC championship to just hit the ground running like, like yeah. you talk about. All right. One of the big contracts that the Lions are probably going to have to figure out here, the most important position in football, Jared Goff. I'm just curious from your perspective, the outside looking in, what do you think a Jared Goff extension looks like if you were to if you were to guess on one? I think he gets $45 million a year. I think he gets it like functionally over three years, right? It might be yeah. like a four-year deal and the fourth year's got no bonus money and you restructure, yada, yada, whatever. Uh, the Daniel Jones contract is a really important contract in the league right now because every single agent of every single starting quarterback in the league can walk up to a GM and go, we'd like to beat this, please. Because <laughs> you, know, you, can, you can make an argument and that your quarterback's better than Daniel Jones. And that's not taking Mickey out of Daniel Jones. It's just he had that great season in a contract year that he switched agents. They got a huge deal out of it, and that's going to become a new floor for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and so the idea of Goff getting anything less than, than, than 40 to me is just I, I would laugh that away if yeah, I were his no. agent. Yeah, no. I think it's going to be more in the 45 to 48 uh, per year range. And I think, yeah, like you're going to structure this uh, kind of like the Kirk Cousins deals were when he first joined Minnesota, where you're only kind of on a three-year horizon because he is getting a little bit older and he's going to get banged up more easily and, and you don't want to invest four years and five years so i think yeah if you do whatever 138 over three like that to me makes sense and huge that the salary cap went up as much as it did it really gives teams like detroit who are looking to have a couple big contracts is not only with jared um i'm on ross St. brown is coming due mm -hmm. penny sewell is is can get one but he's got his fifth year option that's probably one more year away but mm -hmm. detroit's got some big contracts to, to deal out and like we talked about off the top that's a good thing, though. Those yeah. are guys, when we're talking about Amon Ross St. Brown, those are guys that you drafted, developed, and now become some of the best players in the league. You deserve those right. deals, and you like paying them. And if you go early on a St. Brown, you go early on a Penny Sewell, and you build out that structure off the end of their rookie deals, you can give them the big deals now, but the hits don't start coming actually until a few years down yeah. the road after the big salary numbers come. And that's what allows you to re remain aggressive in free agency now, right? And go and, and, and land a couple of big fish and try to plug the last remaining gaps on this team and so it is it's nice to have that homegrown tally because when you extend them you can play with the years and play with the structure a lot more because they're already in the building i know we're here at the combine talking about the draft but free agency comes first so i want to ask you a couple things about free agency what do you think out there is, is a good free agent fit for detroit is there is there one name one position group maybe that that you see boy that right. that guy just kind of seems like a great fit in detroit both for what he brings to the table and what the lions yeah. need I circle right guard. I think that, that that that's the spot on offense that I would want to improve. You have Kevin Dotson, who was traded from the Steelers to the Rams last year, started really nicely for the Rams. He's on the left side. He started well in the interior for them. I think that, that Dotson's a good fit for what they do. Mike Nwenu, who's the guard out of uh, out of New England now, and he's, he's a tackle-sized player, but Detroit likes him big. They don't, he, and has played guard in the league and played there successfully. You can bring Nwenu in, and he can start at right guard for you. And both of those guys are solid starters but not break-the-bank starters. Yeah. And since you're – Kind of going to break the bank on Decker and on Sewell and on right now. You kind of already have your big money guys. You can go for, I think, a not lower tier guy, but just like a solid starter and just feel good about raising the floor of that offensive line. So to me, like the, the I think the interior offensive line market is going to be good in the draft. It's also going to be good in free agency. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. You, you don't want to walk into the draft with a massive gap at right guard and feel like we need to go make a, a, a pick there early. You'd rather have a, a solution in the building, and then if you want to draft a guy, do that as well. And so I think guard is the spot I look at. When you when you look at it, is there a better position to address via free agency versus the draft? I know you just talked about guard. They're, they're, yeah. they're both in there. But when you look at free agency versus the draft, 100%. Yeah, yeah. what do you look at? Like, 
what's maybe better in free agency? Yeah, like I, it's always I think it's always better to get a safety in free agency than the draft. I think offensive linemen is better for a free agency than the draft. You just seen success with those guys changing teams over time, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can get good safeties, good offensive linemen on the market. If like a wide receiver hits the market, like not a trade guy, but a legit free agent guy or an edge rusher, usually I'm kind of like. Those are like those guys don't get away from teams if they're if they're legit, right? And so like barring a Brian Burns, Carolina Panthers malpractice, I don't like to kind of go for those positions. I'd rather draft and develop at those spots. I would say like tight end is another spot where you love to go get a free agent instead of draft a guy because yeah. usually the rookie tight ends aren't good. But you can't say that on a Detroit Lions podcast. <laughs> they already proved you wrong on that one. Uh, and so yeah, it's like when, uh, corner is a spot as, as well. If a corner makes it to the market. Usually yeah. there's a reason he made it, and, and you're more likely, I think, if you're, if you're swinging for like a really top-tier guy to kind of do so successfully in the draft. Legereus Sneed here being a perfect example. Like if Legereus Sneed made it to the market, Brad Holmes should have walked up to Sneed's agent with the biggest blankest check he ever dog on saw. Those, but the Chiefs have explicitly said, like, hey, we're going to tag this guy. We're not going to let him get to the market because that's the caliber of player that he is. So, trade potential still there, I heard, I too. Would, I would – I mean, like, I would trade a first for Jerry Sneed, but that's why I'm not a general manager. So I'm an irresponsible <laughs> man who would just send picks for good players. Uh, the fan perspective, I love it. Yeah. A little bit of fandom there. The NFC North, let's get into that a little bit. Um, obviously, a lot going on. The number one pick was Chicago. They've got to decide what they want to do with Justin Fields and Caleb Williams. It sounds to me they're leaning toward Caleb Williams. I think that's the I right agree. move. You can reset that quarterback um, position with a rookie deal. Minnesota's got to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback as well. Green Bay looks like that team, like Detroit, maybe at the end of 2022 when they had some young pieces that were coming together, playing a lot better. Just your expectations for the NFC North. To me, it looks like a division that's going to be much, much improved and a much harder road for Detroit to repeat in 24. All of those teams feel like they're at least 500 or better. And and that's with like the Bears making a potential quarterback change, right? Like they were they finished just under five hundred, and they had such a strong end of the season. I think mean, the Packers are you know won a playoff game. Clearly, the team used to have to be over five hundred. The Vikings maybe like a little bit of a question mark because what if they don't bring Kirk back? But there's pieces like on that defense. Brian Flores returns. There's Justin Jefferson healthy and T.J. Hawkinson hopefully healthy. Like they still got guys. Everybody to me feels like nine and eight and uh, and up right in terms of expectation. So now it becomes: Do you win your divisional games? Do you win your road games? Are you able to, to, to secure that division? I think this going to be you know it's gonna be week 14 15 nobody's gonna be near securing this division and, and if you made me pick a team to win it i would pick detroit i think they're the best yeah. team in the division but a lot's gonna happen between now and then uh, so absolutely the afc north uh, uh, and, and the american conference and the nfc north and the national conference too those those are the best divisions in the league right now all right we are at the combine so i would be a little bit remiss if i didn't ask you about the draft and let's start with this brad holmes can he continue this pace of hitting yeah. on guys in all three days, you look at his draft picks. I mean, it's 75%, 80% in terms of right. hits on guys playing. He Can he keep this up? Absolutely not. And, and <laughs> no chance. And that's why it's very important to understand, I think that Brad does, given his comments yesterday, that when you when you hit like this, boy, you better make it count. You got to make it worth it, right? You have to hit. I always go back to the Chris Ballard, Indianapolis Colts, late 2010s, right? They had their Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard draft. It's unbelievable. And Braden Smith in the third round. They're pulling cats out of Kenny Moore. They're drafting unbelievably. And, and Ballard and the Colts just kept recycling at quarterback, and they never fully went all in. They never committed. And then by the time they started to figure a quarterback out, all those guys were on their second contract. They were getting hurt. They were getting old. When you strike iron and it's hot, you got to go. This is the league. It is not for long. You got to attack. And so, yes, like Gibbs, Laporta, Branch, Hutchinson, St. Brown, Sewell, you have this young core. It's buddy, ridiculous. Spend, attack, trade, go, right? And if golf is your quarterback and you feel like you have the guy like long term, you've secured the most important position, go get everybody you can, right? They should be 
calling the Bengals about T. Higgins, calling the Niners about Brandon Ayuk, calling the Chiefs about Jarius Sneed, call anybody who's got anybody about anybody who might be anybody. This is the time to go on. This is the time to attack. We'll see, right? Because This is their window, you, yeah, you think. Absolutely. And I think that they know that. I think that they get that. But also, when you – I think, again, I think they understand that academically. But when you've drafted and built and, and been as good as a culture team as they've been over the last few years, sometimes it's hard to accept the reality of, like, all right, we got to go get some big stars. And so we'll see how they behave. I'm really hoping that they, you know, ramp things up to an 11 a little bit. About $55 million roughly in cap space. They've got cap go money to deal on, with. Now. they got four picks in the top 100. It should be a really fun free agency. It should be a really mm-hmm. fun draft. He is Ben Solak. He is the one of the, the new kids on the block, as Peter King says, but a, a, a very good friend of the podcast, very well respected. You do a great job with The Ringer. Thank you so much, Thanks, Ben, Tim. for joining me. Appreciate always. It. Welcome back to the 20 Men in the Huddle podcast. I am very happy to welcome in Matt Miller. Does such a great job with ESPN. The Bleacher for- Report before that. Matt, is this when it kind of starts to become real for you? Is oh, it yeah. I know you've been evaluating these guys for yeah. months, but now everybody's here in one spot. It's all about the draft. Is this when it kind of starts to become a little bit more real for you? Absolutely. And it's when the rest of the league takes notice of the draft. You know, like, we've been waiting for months to talk about these guys, and now it's like everyone else is is able to do that. You know, like, Y'all had such a great season. You had such a long run through the playoffs. You're not thinking about the draft. You're worried about the 49ers. Yeah. So it's like this is, I think, when you get all 32 fan bases. You know, like you mentioned when I was at Bleach Report, we used to have a joke of like, you know, as soon as the Browns are out of the playoffs, that's draft season for at least one team. (laughs) You know, and then everyone else followed suit. And and now it's, you know, it's this is the time when all 32 teams are focused on this. And it's such a crazy schedule in the NFL because we all come here, we do this, and then we immediately focus on free agency. And yeah. almost it gets put to the back burner again. The free agency goes, and then, you know, teams are having the visits and uh, everything else goes, and then it gets into draft mode again. But it, it's a weird dichotomy of the of the NFL schedule. It is. And, you know, the NFL is, is great at keeping us interested in everything they do. So, you know, but also, like, as you know, what happens behind the scenes here is so important. And yeah. It, it is the unofficial start of free agency, even though, you know, we don't like to talk about that fact yeah. that a lot of deals are getting done here and interest being shared. So it is. Yeah, it'll be a nice little break for me after here while all my colleagues are covering free agency. I yeah. can step back and kind of revisit. The Take combine. a breath. That too. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You recently updated your top 50. Um, just maybe give me a, a quick synopsis. Where's this draft you think strong? What position wise do you think it's strong? Where are teams going to be able to get some immediate impact? Yeah. I mean, wide receiver yeah. every year. Right. Every year, wide receivers. It's just the it way the, the the college game has become. Absolutely, now, right? is. I mean, it's transitioned so easily now. Yeah, and so wide receivers, great corner is great, which very interesting for, for Detroit. Happy yeah. in Detroit there, uh, and I, you know, I offensive tackle, which you, you're very good there at offensive yeah. tackle. But it is a deep class, and a lot of those guys could potentially be guards. Some of them could even play center. So uh, it is. Those are the the three core positions. I think we're going to see a lot of really good players. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's something I wanted to ask. Everybody knows kind of who the guard and center guys are. You know the names, but I don't think a lot of maybe fans know of some tackles that are projected to play guards or some tackles that you could see play guard. That's obviously a need depending on what happens in free agency for Detroit. But maybe who are one of the two of those guys that are tackles right now, but you could see them playing guard and and maybe Lions fans should know their name just in case that that's kind of where it ends up to begin their career in Detroit. Washington's left tackle, Troy Fatano. Okay. not short-armed, but shorter, and that's probably going to kick him inside. Graham Barton from Duke, uh, mm-hmm. left tackle, yeah. going to get kicked inside. I think Jordan Morgan from Arizona, another guy who college left tackle but could get kicked inside. So, And they're, interestingly enough, 
their range is right there in the you know mid to late 20s so the value would be would be right if that's the direction detroit went and do you see teams value those kind of guys more too just because injury it's not a matter of you know yeah if injuries are gonna happen it's when and to have a guy that's not only versatile to play all three interior spots but in a bind can go play you know tackle Absolutely. if needed to in game we've seen some of those situations with detroit before where they've had to have a guard play tackle and teams love that kind of flexibility yeah or they? even you know like hey panay Williams play left tackle like, yeah. okay yeah well he can do both that's great but yeah i mean i you can only carry so many guys on your roster so i think that's where it's huge to say okay well you know we're drafting you you were a college left tackle we're going to move you to guard but in a pinch, we know you could play left tackle, and it's not going to be that huge transition, or we're not have to dedicate a lot of practice time to it. We're yeah. going to be able to get you back out there and have you do that. And you know, teams like Green Bay have made a living, and, and the Philadelphia Eagles as well. They made a living off drafting linemen who are versatile, just for those reasons. All right, let's get into your mock draft a little bit. Uh, first pick at twenty nine, Leatu Latu, the uh, uh, defensive end out of UCLA. You're one of the few guys I think that has him going back that far. Is that yeah. just because of what you see with the quarterbacks and the and the skill guys really dominating the first, or is there something about him, or or, or how, how do you think he gets to that spot with Detroit at 29? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, he is has been a fantastic player the last two years at UCLA. Yeah. Prior to that, he had to medically retire at Washington because of a neck injury. So it's a situation if you remember similar to Jalen Phillips, yeah, who was at UCLA, retired, went to Miami, and, and you know became a first round pick. So. This week is huge for Latu with the yeah. medicals. Also, he's someone who's not going to test exceptionally well. He's just a really, really good football player. He's a technician. Uh, you know, he looks like a seasoned pro playing defensive end. So I think that's the reason for the slip in that mock draft. But mm -hmm. those medical questions could get answered this week, and he could go in the top 15. I, I think Lions fans would love it if he's sitting there just based yeah. off the tape and what the players and how he fits the scheme and, and that Dan Absolutely. Campbell kind of mantra as well. Yep. And then in the second round, you had them going a cornerback. TJ Tampa, what do you like about him? Yeah, physical, feisty. You mentioned, I'm glad you said Dan yep, Campbell mentality <laughs> of like, yeah, you want somebody who's going to be a little bit of a nuisance for mm -hmm. offenses. That's who he is. And, and I think especially in the playoff run, I was so impressed by Detroit, but every time I watched it, was like, man, I would love to get one more corner in there, you know, at least yeah. one more young corner in there. And, and Tampa not only fits the scheme, but, you know, in, in the second round, I, I think he's a starting caliber player that's actually available just in the late second round. At least on my second question, or my next question, excuse me, the cornerback class, are there going to be guys late in today, too, that you think yeah. teams are going to be able to to, to snag and, and can be guys that can compete for, for starting jobs? Yeah, and we'll see where the run happens, you yeah. know, if, if – if six or seven go in the first round, that's going to change things. But, yeah, you know, like I loved Jarvis Brownlee from Louisville at the Senior Bowl. He had such a great week, and I'm watching him. I'm looking at my rankings. I'm like, this guy could be – this would be a third-round player who's going to play in the NFL a lot. You know, Mike Sainer still from Michigan. Yeah. He's going to be a nickel, but he's going to play 70% of the time, and he's because he's a little bit smaller, probably going to be a third-round pick. Where do you see value at 29 when you're when you're Detroit? It's, yeah. it's a weird spot to be, yeah. you know, because the last three years with Brad Holmes, he's had a top 10 pick going into it, but he's at 29 now. Where's the value for him? Yeah, I think it could be offensive line. I really do. Just because, you know, we, we might see two tackles in the top 10. We might see one, and that's going to push really talented players down. Um, and, and as we mentioned, you know, some of these guys – even J.C. Latham from Alabama, he can play guard in the NFL and be a really, really good one. So, you, you obviously, you guys are great at tackle. But yeah. I think when you look at the interior, uh, that's where you can maybe find great value. What about this edge class? What do you like about it overall? Yeah, overall, I think you have a lot of athletes. You know, got mm. Dallas Turner from Alabama, Chop Robinson from Penn State. Maybe they're not the most well-rounded guys, but they're going to give you that speed, especially opposite Aiden Hudson, who's just such a game wrecker. Makes 
things easier for a it lot absolutely of people. Does, I think I could probably <laughs> yeah, get a sack like lining up opposite there. him. He's that good. So. <laughs> and then, you know, defensive tackle, there could be really good value at, at 29 as well because, again, we could be looking at a spot where only one, like Byron Murphy, has come off the board. You know, yeah. maybe Jerzon Newton from Illinois might be there. Tavondre Sweat, you know, is more of a true nose tackle, but even putting a nose tackle next to Aiden Hutchinson is going to create a lot of problems. And Ali McNeil putting that kind of size next yeah. to Ali McNeil and Aiden Hutchinson, let, let, let them work a little bit. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be interesting. All right, final one for me. Brad's been so, Brad Holmes has been so terrific in his first three draft cycles. Yeah. yeah. Is it, can he keep this up? Is yeah. Because he's really hit. I mean, Matt, it's been 80, 90% of the guys that he's drafted have become quality guys that contribute. Yeah. If not right away in year two and three. So I do think he can keep it up because he's a very good scout. I will say it's a little easier when you're in the top 10 than it is at 29. There it's you also, go. here's the thing it's also easier when you have a roster that's developing. You know, now you're a team that was, had a lead in the NFC Championship game, that that roster doesn't have as many holes as it had two years ago right. because of how good of a job Brad has done. So, yeah, he can keep it up. And I, I love that he is just bucking trends and saying, <laughs> we've got a foundation built. We'll take a running back in the first round. Yeah. And he's going to be a huge playmaker for us. Or we'll take an off-ball linebacker in the first round. And, and, you know, it helps when you can find a Brian Branch in, in round two. So, yeah, they've done a great job. I'm, I'm in awe of, of how well they've built this team. Yeah, it, it should be a fun uh, couple weeks leading in. I know you're a busy man. You can check everything that Matt Miller does on ESPN. Does a great job with, with their draft coverage there. Matt, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate you. Of course. Thanks.